Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a sustained weight loss and self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are now certified integrative nutrition health coaches, and together with our community, we are learning to live our best lives by telling one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them and sharing personal stories of real people, we aim to destigmatize the process. Join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. This week on the podcast, we welcome Dr. Diva Nagula, author, physician, and stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor. On this episode, he shares his remarkable non-traditional battle with cancer and shares tips and ideas about how we can take a more functional and integrative approach to our own health prior to hitting the point of a health crisis. In his new book, From Doctor to Patient, Healing Cancer Through Mind, Body, and Spirit, Dr. Nagula tells readers about the diagnosis that compelled him to take a hard look at his own life and choices, all the way back to a very young age and the long journey to not only beat cancer, but reinvent himself and his relationships to the people, work, and the world around him for the better. The book chronicles the decisive and winning course of treatment he followed that blended functional medicine and traditional Western therapies, and it includes medical crash courses that inform readers about everything from the risks of inflammation to the power of psychedelics, which we also discuss on this episode. We gained a lot from this conversation, and we hope you enjoy. This episode is sponsored by Milk and Honey. Guys, I am so excited to share our new sponsor, Milk and Honey, with you because I have been using their baking soda-free deodorant exclusively for over two years. This gentle, aluminum-free, baking soda-free deodorant was designed to nourish sensitive skin while keeping you feeling and smelling fresh all day long. When I decided that I wanted to make the switch to a clean aluminum-free deodorant, I tried so many different brands, and each and every time I was plagued with those red itchy bumps under my arm on top of not feeling confident whatsoever that I did not smell. Milk and Honey not only never once gave me those pesky little red bumps, but also passed the smell test even after some of LA's toughest workout classes. This is my ride or die deodorant, and we are so excited to partner with them. Milk and Honey is a line of non-toxic, effective, and safe bath, body, and skincare products made in small batches in Austin, Texas. They source ingredients as hyper-clean as possible, which means both choosing organic and making thoughtful, informed choices on safe ingredients. Milk and Honey is a female-founded and funded brand, and in addition to clean deodorant, they also carry non-toxic bath, body, and skincare products like hydration creams, cleansers, soaps, and body polish, and lots more that will make you feel nourished inside and out. If you want to try Milk and Honey, you can receive 15% off your order by visiting milkandhoney.com and using the code CWPODCAST, one word, at checkout. You can also find the direct link in our show notes. We have an exciting new discount for our listeners with Four Sigmatic. 
Four Sigmatic offers superfood coffee and elixirs to upgrade your daily routine. The powerful antioxidants, antiviral effects, and immune-boosting properties of mushrooms transform your cup of joe from an energy-boosting treat to a health-enhancing choice. Along with mushroom coffee, Four Sigmatic also offers mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cocos, and other shroom-filled products. Erica uses the lion's mane in her morning superfood coffee, and even though I hate mushrooms, I absolutely love the products, especially the matcha latte powder, which contains myataki mushrooms and adaptogens. For 10% off Four Sigmatic products, visit foursigmatic.com and use the code COURAGEOUS at checkout, and there's also a direct link in our show notes. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Nagula. Thanks for having me. To get started, can you share with our audience a little bit about your personal journey, um, basically from doctor to patient? Yeah, thank you. So my whole life took a big 180 turn when I was diagnosed with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma back in February 12th, 2014. And, uh, Prior to my diagnosis, um, I had just immediately before I had just exited my busy medical practice that I had started up from ground up, and uh, I was I just gotten married, and I literally was taking about some time off, and it was the end of my first year of taking a year off to myself, and I was ready to turn the page um, to uh, to a new chapter, and start a new life with my wife, and trying to and and essentially start a family. And then um, I went into the doctor's office with um, just a regular physical. But the main thing that I was complaining about was that I had these um, nodules or these cysts, or at the time, that's what I thought they were on either side of my neck. And I, I thought I was feeling great. I didn't have any issues. Um, my exercise was on point. My energy levels were on point. And so we, I went to the doctor and, and he, was, he looked concerned. He was like, let's get a CAT scan. Um, and make sure that there's nothing going on. And he had this concern look, which kind of had concern me. And we talked about the possibilities of what this situation could be because he was actually more concerned because it wasn't really a cyst or a nodule in my skin or der dermatological. It was something that was related to my lymph nodes. And so we got the CAT scan and we, um, I, I followed up with him and it showed that there was enlarged lymph nodes all across um, the head and neck area where we took the CAT scan. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And I, and I never even dawned on it. It could be something like cancer because I was feeling perfectly. And everyone knows that if you have a diagnosis of cancer, you, you know, you typically feel like crap, you've lost some weight, you know, a lot of, you know, those kind of things. But again, I was feeling great and, and under no, no stress at all. And so we decided to um, get confirmation, having referred to an oncologist and there, after a battery of tests, um, a lymph node biopsy, a bone marrow biopsy, it was all, um, you know, we got all that done. And my, um, my wife at the time and myself went followed up with the oncologist. And then he said those words, uh, you have stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, it was at this point where everything just shifted for me. And um, I had several second opinions that I had underwent. And uh, um, everyone said the same thing. And this specific diagnosis was, um, was a shock, obviously. But what was interesting was that I had an opportunity because I had, um, 
I, since I wasn't symptomatic at the time in terms of having uh, a low blood count or low um, you know, white cell count, and I was feeling fine, they said that I could do what was called a watch and wait. And the watch and wait was a period of time where I could just sit around and wait and try to see if I could regress the cancer myself. And it was during this time is when I actually um, learned about more about my cancer, learned about the etiology or the cause of the cancer and what was the reason why I got it. Um, lymphoma, the specific cancer is not genetic, so I didn't get it. I didn't inherit it at all. And it wasn't something that I had um, done overnight where I had done something crazy or I, you know, or I was you know, maybe passerby, um, an infected person. It wasn't anything like that at all. It was something that I had learned. It was um, years and years of poor lifestyle choices and years and years of just um, a lot of um, poor lifestyle choices in the sense of my diet was really bad. I wasn't sleeping very well. I was under a lot of stress. And even though that year off that I had, it, it, it didn't matter because it was accumulation over uh, many, many, many years. And as I learned more about this, I was, I was determined because I had this window of opportunity during the watch and wait period to reverse myself. And I felt that this was God's way or the universe's way of, of giving me an, a, a second chance to beat this, be able to tell my story on the back end and start treating patients um, in this realm um, of cancer. Um, even though I was practicing in a different field and I, and I, and I left that, uh, that particular specialty, I felt that my experience would help a lot of people and I was confident that this was what, what I was supposed to do. And after my research, I learned a ton about what it was specifically that I was doing wrong. And uh, it was all, it's really all about inflammation. And that's what I learned um, is that my body was in a chronic state of inflammation. And it was, it was secondary to a whole host of conditions. Um, it, but the main, main thing for me that really stood out was my diet. I had no idea what it entailed to eat properly or eat well, because in, they don't teach you that kind of stuff in medical school. And uh, when I left home from high school, all I was doing was eating out, eating fast food, um, eating the, the, whatever I could get my hands on to, to satiate my appetite, to get some nutrition in my system, if you want to call it nutrition, and, and then um, go about my day. And, um, that's when I learned a lot about, um, specific things during my research period, um, food, eating organic. Um, and then I learned a lot about stress management and which was important because I was under a lot of stress with my practice and even growing up as a child, going through the, uh, the rigors of, of, of schooling, academia and medical school residency, yada, yada. So it was that. And then obviously it was just, I, I didn't have any other, um, means of coping. And it was a lot of these culmination, a culmination of these things. It was the perfect storm for me to get cancer. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, in a nutshell, my, my, my story about how I got it and, you know, how I changed my life um, according to what I discovered in research um, and how it inspired me to write my book. Yeah, it's interesting. I love, I love the way your book reads. Um, as someone, I went through cancer as well and when I was 29, and I can relate to aspects of your story. Um, feeling great, not, like, not thinking anything was wrong. Actually, similarly, doc a doctor I had seen, I had sort of a discoloration on my back and had said, a, a doctor said, ignore it. It's probably a cyst, et cetera, et cetera. Long story short, it was um, a form of sarcoma, a tumor that grew down through into my muscle lining. Um, but 
being in that position, like as I'm reading your book, what I love about it and what I can sort of relate to about it is that you, you write it kind of like a memoir. Like this is your, this is your story. But then what's so cool in it for any readers is that you put these little medical crash course sections throughout it. And I thought that's really interesting because it's this accessible way to understand some of the science. And even from a holistic standpoint too, you talk about the importance of mental health, all these different aspects. But as you, as they relate to your personal story. And I think, you know, when you go through something scary, like a cancer diagnosis, and even you can share a little bit more too, but even you talk about what happens in your remission or hitting that sort of rock bottom um, after your treatment, you know, I think having a resource like this where people can understand, you know, even a medical professional, especially a medical professional, a doctor who's going through this, all of a sudden your experience as a patient, it really changes your perspective on so many things. Sure so um, if you could speak to that a little bit, I was pretty moved by that. You talk, you talk about hitting that place where you know once you were in remission, you knew you needed to make some drastic changes for your life. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So I had, unfortunately, um, when I was going through those changes during that watch and wait period, it wasn't sufficient to really make a dent in the changes of my cancer growth. And even though I tried really hard, it just wasn't enough. And the cancer was just kind of too late. Um, the cancer got really aggressive and I unfortunately had to go through traditional chemotherapy. Um, and along these lines, when I was going through treatment, um, it was, you know, at that point, it didn't matter what I put into my body or what I did. It was just all about getting ke- the the, uh, ther- the chemotherapy. I mean, there is some line of thought that you want to maintain a healthy body during the time frame um, because so it can help better fight um, the toxic effects of the chemotherapy. For me, I'd given up, honestly. Um, I had, um, because I had tried so hard during that watch and wait window, and it was something that I just was determined to change uh, um, for myself. I failed at it. And to me, that was, um, I, I felt like a failure and I don't typically like failing. I don't, I'm not used to failing. So it really hit me hard. Um, number one, that I had to go through, uh, chemotherapy. Number two, my life was in the hands of this medicine. I could not do anything about it. So I completely lost all control over anything. And three, it was just like, I, I just gave up cause I failed. So, um, it was really hard for me. And during this period of time, I went through a horrible, um, uh, mental state where I got really depressed. Um, and I, my depression wasn't in the form of woe is me, pity me. It was more of in the form of anger. I was extremely angry at everything, everyone, everything. I pushed everybody away and the anger fueled me to get through the day. And, um, I knew I had to function, um, because I had, um, a, a new, I was a newlywed and, you know, we were, we were, I just felt like I had the need to support the family and somehow, so I had responsibility. So that was really, um, pushing me and I, and the anger was what happened, what, what fueled me to get through the day. Um, unfortunately my, my marriage didn't work out. We separated during, um, my treatment and I ended up going through, uh, we had to go through six rounds, um, of treatment. And it was a one, it was a month um, for each treatment and it was a day and a half each month of an infusion, eight hours of one day and then uh, four hours the second day. So it was really a grueling process. Um, and I remember um, when my, my ex left, you know, I was all alone 
And I remember having to drive to the hospital to get chemo and then drive back to, to home. And it was just, it was just really awful when I think about it, how, how alone that I really was. Um, and then after I, I got the fifth round of treatment, it was, um, the doctor said that I could not sustain another round of chemo because it would kill me because my, my blood counts were so bad and that if I got any infection, it would just push me over the edge. A simple cold, um, you know, a sniffle here, there, it would have just pushed me over the edge because my immune system was so compromised by the, by the chemo. So um, fast forward a little bit. I mean, I did get into, I, I was into remission. Um, so thank goodness that that was the case. And as you alluded to before, you would think that the diagnosis of cancer would be enough to get me into, would feel like I was at rock bottom. And mind you, this whole time of six months uh, or five and a half months when I was going through treatment, it was crappy, but I had something to be angry at. You know, it was fuel to give me, to get me through on day to day. And at that, and then at the end of the five and a half months, you know, I was alone. My, my ex had left and I had alienated a lot of people out of my life. When the cancer, um, when I was told I was finally in remission, I really feel that that was when I hit rock bottom because I had nothing left. I had nothing to be angry at anymore. So it was like, okay, now what? You know, I wasn't working. My my um, wife at the time, we were on our way to getting divorced. Um, I had alienated so many people, um, you know, and it was like, what now? You know, what do I do? And um, the thing that really sparked the turnaround for me was um, when I ran into my personal trainer in a grocery store um, outside in the parking lot. He used to be a guy that worked out with me in my home and we were really good buddies. And um, it was that camaraderie that I missed. And I didn't realize how much I missed, um, you know, just companionship, you know, just the camaraderie of, of, of a human being of just joking around and just, just, you know, shooting the crap. And we started to work out again. And it was really this that really fueled a lot of the changes for me. Um, as you know, exercise is really good because it actually circulates the endorphins and makes you feel really good. And just the camaraderie of just hanging out and, and being buddy buddy was really good for me too. That actually also stimulated like the dopamine with the workout and with hanging out and being, and, and just, just being a buddy to me was really uh, what fueled me to get, um, you know, into better shape and then got and, and actually accelerate my healing process. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting point that regardless of if you've had cancer or not, I think is very relatable. Um, having right, like that anger, which I also don't think people equate to depression as often, right? Like when you think depression and how it manifests, I, I don't know if anger is usually the one of the first things people go to, but it definitely is part of it. But I think we all hold on to things, right? Um, like the anger or the the sadness, whatever it may be. And then when that thing is gone, like for you, you get told you're in remission. I think that's what's so relatable for probably everyone listening. It's like, then what are you left with? And I think you have a choice, right? Like, am I going to move forward or am I going to find another thing to be angry at? But I do think that more people now than ever are starting to realize, right? Like this functional medicine component that you're, you're beginning to really touch on here in this like rock bottom moment of, um, it, your lifestyle does matter, right? In terms of your physical health. So can you talk a little bit too about, so now you're here, right? And you're getting these endorphins and you're getting the camaraderie. How does it start going further where 
like you mentioned in the beginning, you're like, oh, like this is, this is it, you know, this is yeah. what I need to do. So for me, it was at that point, it was the most easiest thing to turn around was my body getting back into shape and putting right nutrients in my system. And to me, it's the easiest thing to change because you have an object, objective measure because you're either looking at yourself, you know, in the mirror naked and you're like, okay, well, I don't look good. I'm a little obese, you know, all that sitting around and, you know, and I just need to like lose the weight. So for me, that was the first thing that I, I started to do because it was an objective measurement that I needed to do something different to change. So that's what I started to do was the exercise. And then I knew that I had to um, change my diet as I was doing right before I um, was, was started chemotherapy. And I went back to that diet where I was like, I knew it was important because I needed to feed my body the right nutrients and not the garbage that I was used to eating. And that meant changing my diet to something that where I wasn't eating any more processed foods. I was eliminating all of that. I was eliminating all sugars um, because in people who suffer from cancer, during the time frame that they are um, diagnosed with cancer and typically after remission, cancer cells feed off sugar. And it's really important for people who are freshly diagnosed with cancer that you cannot eat anything with sugar because that's going to fuel the cancer. And for me, it was um, when I got into remission, my type of cancer can relapse very easy. And so I know that I had to be diligent in terms of what I put into my body because the relapse rate was so high, I needed to be cautious that I didn't go down that road. So I, I really was very diligent about food. I put what I did eat was all organic and non-GMO. And the reason why there was organics because I didn't want to have my body exposed to the toxic pesticides um, that accompanies foods that aren't um, organic, um, and specifically glyphosate, which is hu hugely inflammatory and actually has been, um, which is a, glyphosate is the um, active ingredient in Roundup. And it li li literally recently has a, block, a black box label of being carcinogenic. In fact, if you're aware of it, um, Glyphs, uh, Roundup is owned by Monsanto, which recently got bought out by Bayer. There's all these lawsuits against this company from people who had um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma because there's a correlation with glyphosate and this cancer. So I was even, it was, I was more like really diligent about not having any kind of glyphosate exposure. And also I was a big golfer when I was living in Florida. So whenever I went out to golf, you really had to be cautious because they spray the entire course with glyphosate because they wanted to look pretty. So I, I eliminated all that stuff. And um, that was the first part about my, 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 my transition is the realization of what I had to do and then eventually start to change it. Um, I moved to DC maybe a short time after I went into remission. And then it dawned on me um, as I actually applied to um, the integrative medicine program. It was a two-year program with Dr. Andrew Weil. And it was some of the tenets, actually a lot of the tenets that I learned from this fellowship program was how is what I used to actually heal myself. And again, I, I was addressing the body part of my healing process, but I really didn't address the mind and the spirit. And it was when I moved to DC, I really realized a couple of things that I needed to change not only my body, which had I'd done a great job, but I needed to start taking advantage of the mindfulness that I had learned and the mindfulness programs, the mind-body programs that I had learned from my fellowship. And the mindfulness was really um, something that I, I was important for me. Um, mindfulness is, is defined as the um, moment-to-moment -moment awareness without any judgment. And so 
in, in, in layman's terms, it means basically living in the moment. And I never knew what that meant. Um, I, as a person who was um, entrepreneurial, has very driven, um, I was always um, taught to look forward. And, and you could look back, but I would always look back on my mistakes. So what if I did this differently? This outcome you know, could, could have been changed. So I never really had an opportunity to live in the moment. And if you live in the moment, there is no stress in the moment. There is no fight or flight in the moment unless, you know, the, unless you're actually attacked by a big grizzly bear. That's when it's appropriate to be in a fight or flight response. But for the most part, like we're going through some crazy times right now and everyone's worried and everyone's having these fight or flight responses. And it's not appropriate because it's down the road. It's in the future. You're worried about things that may or may not materialize. So let's just concentrate on being in the now. That's what I really focus on. I changed my focus to be more present. This is a hard, hard way, hard, hard transition. But um, the exercise that I employed were more breathing exercises, meditation. Um, and I also did some mind-body stuff, which helped me focus my mind and body in the moment, like yoga. Um, I was also doing kundalini yoga. And uh, um, I also got into some practice of Qigong. Mm. So these were the things that I learned about um, ha- affecting my mind. Um, and, um, that's the second part of my healing phase. And the last part was really about spirit. And, um, this was what, how my, um, I started to write my book. And I, as I was writing about the mind and the body, I was like, something's missing. And as, as I was writing the book, I realized that there's a huge component that I never addressed. And that was spiritual. And I didn't, and I, I, I grew up spiritual. I grew up religious. Um, and, but I, I never really took to it and spirituality and religious religion is totally two different things. Um, religion is really, you know, a, um, a set of beliefs that's, that's, um, commonplace with a group of people and, and spirituality is really about, um, finding your purpose in life and having a connection with the universe and feeling like there's a sense of oneness with yourself and the universe and with people. And that was a lesson that I, I, I got, um, and it was through actually the um, utilization of the psychedelic medicines where I, I developed my spiritual out- outlook. And um, so now it's like, it's, it's, um, I don't have the sense of doing things for the purpose of power, greed, or money. It's actually shifted now because of my spiritual awakening, so to speak. Now I wanna do things where I'm more of service to others and um, that's how I live my, my life spiritually. And so for me, it's all about the balance of the mind, body, and spirit to attain well-being and optimal health. We want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about a wellness brand that we really love. It's called Ned. In 2019, we had co-founder Adrian Zimmerman on the podcast, and he shared all about Ned's commitment to providing the absolute best science-backed and nature-based solutions that offer holistic alternatives to prescription and over-the-counter medicine. Ned only grows the highest quality full-spectrum CBD that is extracted from organically grown hemp plants and sourced from an independent farm in Colorado. All products are absolutely non-psychotropic. My favorite is Ned's Natural Cycle Collection, made for women by women for period support. I particularly love the Ned Soothe Salve, made with hemp oil and specially created to help soothe premenstrual discomfort so you can feel your best. The Natural Cycle Collection is slow crafted from seed to bottle and contains anti-inflammatories, balancing minerals, healing antioxidants, nourishing fatty acids, and revitalizing vitamins. Erica, what is your favorite Ned product? 
Well, I have to say that my favorite is the full spectrum hemp oil line. When I consistently take it, I notice a huge difference in my anxiety, sleep, and general mood. So I have made it part of my daily self-care routine. Every day I use the 750 milligram tincture and do two droplets under my tongue in the morning and in the evening. I also love applying the hemp infused body butter to my neck and shoulders before bed as I am winding down and always use my tincture as an alternative to any pain medication if I get hit with a headache. If you want to try out Ned and give their CBD a try for yourself, we have a special offer for the Courageous Wellness audience. Go to www.helloned.com slash podcast. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash CW podcast to get 15% off your first order plus free shipping. Thank you, Ned. We know you're going to love it. You can also find the direct link in our show notes and check out their full line of wellness products. Now back to the episode. Thank you for sharing that. I think this sort of holistic viewpoint that we are not just, you know, the Western Listen, Western medicine has so many amazing aspects of it, but you know, there is this sort of compartmentalization or like both from treating symptoms, but like the body not being whole. Um, and you know, like if you're having brain issues, you go to the neurologist. If you're having foot issues, you go to the podiatrist. And it's like this idea that we are a functioning system, but not just a physically functioning system. We are multiple there's multiple levels and facets to just being a human being. And those are spiritual and um, mental and emotional and physical. And I love sort of the comprehensive look that, um, that your book dives into with that. But also even, you know, we, Erica and I recently went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Um, and Dr. Weil was a speaker at a conference we, we got to go to a few months ago. And I, you know, having such um sort of an integrative perspective on, on medicine and on health and wellness, uh, it's, you know, it's such a refreshing sort of perspective and that he does really blend these like Eastern and Western philosophies. Um, so I'm curious now that you have this sort of integrative approach, not only to the way you try to live, but to your um, to your work, how has that changed you as a doctor? Right. Uh, so I've totally shifted in how I practice medicine and how I believe medicine should be practiced. When you're, when you're in the uh, traditional uh, sense of medical training and go into the whole traditional process of learning about medicine, you're really, it's like you're, you're I guess it's for lack of a better term, it's almost like you're brainwashed you're really fixated in this doctrine that that's taught for four years in medical school. And then after that, you, that's the foundation of, of, of what you utilize to help patients. And you feel that's your right way, but you don't know how to think outside the box because you aren't even exposed to anything that is outside the box. So you're looking at it from a very narrow perspective and you feel that everything that you do is right because that's what you were taught in medical school. And, um, it wasn't until I got sick and I started researching that I felt that the tenets that I've learned for health for myself as well as patients was mostly incorrect. 
And don't get me wrong. I mean, Western medicine is fantastic and in, 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 um, a very, in, in terms of putting a person back together, if there's some trauma and you're suffering from an, you know, a motor vehicle accident, you have broken bones, Western medicine is great with that. Western medicine is also good for um, crisis. If you have to go into the intensive care and you have this overwhelming um, sepsis reaction where your body is shutting down. I mean, as we're seeing now, you know, with the utilize of ventilators and, and that kind of support is fantastic. We're, we're awesome at that. But when it comes to preventative care and like, and like utilizing supplements and, and diet and nutrition to really uh, address health needs, we, we're, we're awful. And so I, I've changed my belief system where I feel that it's better to use simple things and um, like food, for example. And I'll take an example for a person who's suffering from blood pressure. The common thing to do is you go to a doctor and you um, see a physician over three visits and with, with um, a um, consistent blood pressure reading that's elevated. That's when the diagnosis of high blood pressure is giving, giving an, an, a blood pressure medication. Well, what they don't tell you is, or teach you in medical school, or what the physician typically doesn't tell the patient is like, let's get to the root cause of your problem. You know, why is your blood pressure elevated? There's a million things that could be actually linked to why this blood pressure is elevated. It could be stress at home. It could be the person got laid off at work. It could be, you know, a number of things. But we don't do that in traditional medicine because there's no time to go over that. In a 15-minute appointment, you can't sit there and take a deep dive into the, into the patient's history to figure out what the root problem is. That's yeah. unfortunate. Yeah, I think, too, we're so trained to go to the doctor when we're sick, right, or when we're feeling sick, as opposed to this ideal, which I, I hope and think is changing with more you know, functional medicine MDs and health coaches and different things like this, where it's like, it's really preventative care, right? Like, you want to be utilizing your holistic and integrative healthcare team so that you don't have to like come when you're really, really sick and get given that life-saving pill maybe that is a last resort. So I, I do hope, you know, with doctors like you and, and as this conversation continues that it is starting to change. And, you know, you mentioned something too, because I also think, right, it's like you said, it's food, which I definitely want to go into as well, because I think a lot of people have food on the brain right now. Um, but it's food, it's um, body, it's spirituality and mindfulness. But when you mention that, and actually Ali and I have a spiritual Buddhist practice, that's how we met. So, you know, we're all about everything you're saying. But you mentioned, right, the, the psychedelic medicine. And I think that's really interesting and is also becoming... Um, not as talked about, I think, as some other things, but it's starting to for healing. And I don't know if you can just touch on that at all, because I think a lot of people, I'm sure, have lots of opinions on it. But I think it's interesting to start talking about and understanding. Yeah, for me, it was um, my first experience with psychedelics is what was pivotal for me. And, and it really got me curious as to what it did for the body and what it can do for healing. and. I'll, I remember specifically, I'll, I'll address um, my experience as I was leaving, leaving from this place where I had the psychedelic experience and I was driving back home. And it was a street that I had driven hundreds of times. It was a place that I've been all, you know, for many, many years. And I was stopped at a traffic light and I was looking around and I was like, why is everything so green? 
It's like everything was plush green. The trees were green. The grass was green. Um, I was noticing buildings that were either side of me. I was noticing the colors of the, the buildings. I was noticing the vibrancy of, of people walking. And it was, and I really, then it dawned on me, it was like, it's because I am not so caught up in my head. I'm actually living in the moment and appreciating things for what they are at that moment instead of ruminating, which I had constantly done all my entire life. And so what the psychedelic medicine did, it shut off this, this specific network that's called the default mode network in our brain. It's where our ego is housed. It's where we have this, um, this self-critical talk uh, where we um, also have like depression and anxiety can also be found in there. So for me, all that was like reset. And that's what psychedelic medicine does. There are numerous studies that prove this, but it shuts down this and resets this default mode network. So it's, it's, it's back at, at a level of zero. And it's like you're looking at things from a different perspective, like it's brand new. And you're taking in things like you're living in the moment. And it really was. Um, and then I started to research this and I started to understand what it was doing. And then I, and then I realized that there was all sorts of studies that were being done and, um, and research clinical trials that were being done for the use of, of, um, of, of psychedelics such as magic mushrooms or psilocybin. And that was really fascinating for me. And right now it's in phase two trials with the FDA. It's been fast-tracked because of the potential healing that it, it, it's um, for, for patients that, who are suffering. And it actually, there's another medicine. It's not quite considered a psychedelic, but it's along that realm. Um, we know that as, uh, it's called MDMA, and the, uh, the street name is ecstasy or Molly. Yeah. But this specific medication is in phase three trials right now. And uh, it's, um, the FDA has fast-tracked it uh, because it has such great benefits for people who are suffering from trauma and PTSD. Yeah. Um, there's like an 80% cure rate for people who are actually do one to two, one or two sessions with MDMA of their PTSD. It's so, it's so fascinating. And I think, you know, I've, I've never done psychedelic drugs. Um, but, and I think that's why it's a controversial topic, right? Cause it's, illegal drugs, right? But I think what's interesting is when I started doing the research on it or started listening to podcasts and hearing about this, um, these clinical trials, right, um, that the FDA and, you know, all these doctors were working on. Um, and I learned that actually, like, even MDMA, right, like, its original inception, it wasn't, you know, made in a, like, lab to be a party drug. It was originally intended to be this healing, medically controlled experience. Um, so I just think that's really interesting. And I'm sure people listening have lots of opinions, but I do think it's important to keep an open mind because it's, it's fascinating. And like you said, people are having these healing experiences through them. So 100%. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating to see what's going on and seeing all the uh, changes with society. There's actually a movement for decriminalization already. There's several municipalities like um, Denver has, has decriminalized psychedelics. Oakland has decriminalized it. In fact, on the ballot for this year, 2020, over 100 municipalities have actually planned for decriminalization. Um, the whole state of, 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 I think it's Oregon or Washington, I can't remember. One of the two is trying to decriminalize the whole state itself. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I've even just seen, as Erica said, like little sort of things, pieces of information starting to pop up. And, and it seems like, um, I mean, I know this has been 
years and years people have been using these therapeutically, but now it's starting, the conversation is starting to become more mainstream and often done, it's, it's, it's often done with microdosing in controlled environments with professionals. So it's like getting all the benefits out of it without the sort of like I don't know, the stigma that like it as a as street drugs, you know what I mean? It's sort of like, and, and this idea of decriminalization, I don't know, that's a whole nother conversation, but it's sort of so important. And, and look at, you know, even since regulations for like hemp plants and CBD and all that type of thing, it's been such a medicinal um, tool now that's accessible to so many more people. So it'll be really interesting side note, but it'll be really interesting to see over the next couple of years sort of what happens in that, in that realm. Um, so I'm curious, you know, we're talking about the fact that you've really had this transformation as a, as a practitioner too, since your, since your experience as a patient. Um, and you currently have an IV, an intravenous sort of concierge practice, correct? Yep, I sure do. So can you talk to us a little bit about that and the benefits of that and why people do IVs and, and what they can bring to patients? Yeah, so I'm a big proponent of IV um, hydration along with the nutrients that you can choose to add in the IV bag. So we have several packages that we offer uh, for patients or clients, uh, but one of the most popular packages is Package for Wellness. And the wellness package, it's exclusively consists of specific uh, medicines or, uh, or um, supplements where the immune, immune system is boost. So we add something that's called um, glutathione. Glutathione is an antioxidant, which it really is one of the most potent uh, free radical scavengers in the body. Our body produces glutathione, but because we're exposed to so many toxins in our environment, whether it's food or whether it's like pesticides or just the air, wherever it just gets used up really quickly. So it's really important to replenish our supply of glutathione. And one of the ways to do it is intravenously, which is the best way of actually replenishing it. Vitamin C is another thing that we also do. And right now, if you're keeping up with the news, is that vitamin C is significantly um, helps with this virus. And it helps fight this virus, whether preventative or with a therapeutic way, if people are suffering from the virus. And intravenously, we actually are able to deliver more through the vein at a higher dose without having the person have any side effects from the ingestion of vitamin C. Ingestion of vitamin C, well, there's two things. What happens is if you ingest something, you lose half of it through metabolism. And then you also um, predispose yourself to sometimes the toxic effects of the medicine. And vitamin C, a lot of times if you take it orally, it has to go through our, dig our digestive system. And we have a hard time with our digestive system because it just doesn't agree with a large high dose of vitamin C. But intravenously, you can really give high, high, high doses and really not have the effects of any gastrointestinal distress from it. So that's one of the big proponents that I, I really um, like about the IV um, treatments that we have. Um, and of course, you know, I, I can't, I, I'll be remiss if I can't, if I don't mention one of the common uses of intravenous, uh, of therapies is for hangovers. So <laughs> one of the things yes. it's, it's more commonly used for. Yeah. Well, it, that, that, that kind of is like a nice pivot to what my next question was going to be, <laughs> because you mentioned, right? Like 
through your recovery and your remission and when your holistic healing really began, that food was such a big component. And you mentioned, right, the glyphosate, the organic um, sugar, right, cutting that out because that's what cancer feeds on. But for the um, layman, right, or just that normal, healthy 20, 30-something individual who is listening, where do you recommend they start with food in terms of reducing inflammation and living a healthy life, but also being, you know, a young adult (laughs) and right. What about alcohol? Right. Cause alcohol is this like controversial wellness item. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I'd love to know your thoughts. Yeah. Let's talk about alcohol first before we get into my thoughts about addressing inflammation with through diet. Um, a lot of the literature says one to two drinks a day is fine. And I would, I have to agree with that. It all depends on what your system um, can tolerate. If you're a non-drinker and you'll start, start, start putting in one to two alcoholic beverages into your system, it's not going to be fun. It's not a good thing to do. But if you're a social drinker, I, I totally see that one to two drinks is totally acceptable. There are some very good benefits specifically with wine because wine has some antioxidants um, and other substances that can actually help with inflammation. But when you start getting into more than one or two drinks, then it actually has a counter effect. It actually causes inflammation and it disrupts our gut. And our gut is really where our immune system is housed. And if you disrupt the gut, then you're causing inflammation and you're setting yourself up for a whole host of diseases, chronic disease, um, which can lead to something like cancer down the road or liver failure or other issues um, of disease that's caused by chronic inflammation. So yeah, I'm, I'm, alcohol is, is uh, in moderation is totally fine. But when you are um, drinking more than one to two drinks, I, I would really advocate you take a second look and, and try to reduce. Um, in terms of food um, and are reducing inflammation, I would really advocate on paying attention to your body. Um, not enough of us are in tune with our bodies. And what I mean by that, by our body changes and fluctuates in terms of weight, in terms of bloating, in terms of just how we feel, aches and pains. And is understanding what inflammation, how it feels, and what are the symptoms of inflammation. When you understand that, then you can backtrack and figure out what you were exposed to that may have triggered this inflammatory process. And for example, for um, most people, the common things that people experience when they're in an inflammatory state that's not overt, like a skin lesion or a cut, it's like in our body, is like a lot of people have gastrointestinal distress. They're either totally, they're bloated, they're suffering either constipation or diarrhea, their bowel habits are off, um, their, their composition of their stool is off. These are all common signs of inflammation. And when it gets to the point where it's on a regular basis, you forget what the new normal is and that becomes your new normal. And unfortunately, if this is not normal, this is really an inflamed uh, condition that you're suffering from. So pay attention to your body. And if say, for example, I went out and I, and I ate something and the next day I'm bloated and I have joint pain and you know, I don't feel well, well, let's figure out what you ate the last two days you know, or what you were around the last two days that could trigger this. And that's how you can backtrack, do your own detective work and eliminate the cause of these problems. Um, secondly is that, Another symptom that's common that people don't realize is that when you wake up in the morning, brain fog, you know, you kind of wake up and you're foggy and you're like, man, I can't think I can't, I can't function. I need my coffee. So coffee is great and caffeine is great, but it's 
you're countering the brain fog by putting uh, you know, a, a, a stimulant in your system. And if you realize that this brain fog is a secondary effect to an inflammatory process by something that you've been exposed to or something that you've ate or something that just doesn't agree with you, then you can, you can figure out that I don't need that cup of coffee to get my system going. This is it's covering up what's actually truly happening to me and I'm, I'm in, a stat, in a state of inflammation. So really understanding your body. And then once you understand the culprit, you can eliminate that. And then you can fix the problem by really putting in good nutritious food into your system. You know, when I, when I mean that, I mean eating organic, not eating processed, don't eat fast food, um, eliminate the sugary beverages. These are just the common things that you need to do. But my advice is to really pay attention to your body. That can tell you so much. Yeah, your body is so intelligent. I think that's an interesting thing that for anyone who's been through health stuff and has really gone through a transformation because of it, I know for me, like, I learned that my body, if I know, if I figured out how to listen to my body, it knows how to tell me what it needs. Um, but that's not something, you know, we're taught. That's something that was like a lot of trial and error and surgeries and, you know, different healing. And so, um, I think that's a really interesting thing, though, that it's like our bodies are super intelligent. They know, but we, yeah. we can't hear it if we kind of cloud it with processed food and junk food and all of that stuff. It doesn't communicate as clearly. Yeah. Yeah. I also think, too, like you mentioned, right, the importance of organic foods. And I think we all know how important organic foods are. But just for our listeners, if anyone doesn't have access to organic food or it's just especially in this climate right now, maybe not an option, um, but it's something you want to implement. I always um, tell people to look at the Dirty Dozen list and the Clean 15 because that's an easy way to start, right? And um start the organic path of maybe just start with those dirty dozen. Um, and then we always talk about frozen organic frozen food is so much cheaper and really great. So I always just like to mention that too, when we talk about organic food, because it can be accessible as well. And hopefully one day we'll get to a place where an organic apple is just the way an apple should be. So that should be the cheaper option and not the Franken food. Right. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, we ask all of our guests this question. I'm curious what your answer is going to be, but what does your daily self-care look like now? Yeah, it's a lot different than what it was when I was, um, before I was diagnosed with cancer, that's for sure. Uh, I try to, number one, my most important thing is I try to, my diet has to be on point and, and I want to make sure that I avoid things that I'm sensitive to because that can cause a reaction and increase the inflammation. But that's one part of it. I try to make sure that I get a lot of sleep, six to eight hours of sleep. I, and it's, I would love to really stay in the seven and a half to eight hour range. But when I wake up, I wake up. It's just, I, I can't go back to sleep. That's just the way my body is. But I try to get that seven to eight hours sleep. That's the goal. Um, and I, as a result, I'm able to function a lot better if I get that seven to eight hours as opposed to the five and a half to six. Um, I feel a little groggy around this time of day and then my brain isn't functioning as well. Um, and if that's the case, what I'll do is I'll, I'll take a nap. Um, and whether it's a nap where I fall asleep or whether I listen to something that's with binaural beats, um, and binaural beats is, uh, is to me up the poor man's way of meditating because it actually puts you into this meditative state by the frequencies that you're listening to. And it tricks your brain into being this relaxed state. And that relaxed state, whether you listen to 15, 20 minutes, it actually has a 
end results of keeping of making you more energized like you actually did have a 20 minute power nap so that's my 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 big secret um i think that's really effective it actually calms the nervous system down too and so it's a great hack if you don't have time to meditate or if you just have this resistance to meditation because you think it's hard or because you can't you think you have to clear your mind yes that's the case but this is another form of meditation that actually works and it's easy um I also do a lot of sauna work. Um, I'm in the sauna and at least I want to be in it daily, but I just, I, I, I'd like to think the best way to do this is daily, but it's all about your time. Um, and I got I, about 20 minutes and the whole reason why I do a sauna because it's a detoxification of my body and it, it just allows me to sweat from the inside out and it purifies my system and it makes me just, you know, you just sweat from a deep, deep within and, um, that's a great way of just eliminating toxins that's stored in your body. It's different from a sweat when you're active because when you're active and you're running or exercising, your blood flow is shifted differently. So some of the organs that the blood flow is, is shifted from doesn't get the processing of the sweating and the detoxification. Whereas sitting, it's like your blood flow isn't diverted. It's very, um, it's, it's equal throughout. So you get to actually sweat from places that you normally don't sweat from when you're working out. Mm. Um, what else do I do? Um, I, I do a lot of supplements. You know, the biggest supplement that I, I am a, a big proponent of is vitamin D. Um, it's really important because it's a big immune booster. And if you don't have uh, healthy levels of vitamin D, then to me, anything else that you try to do to boost your immune system does, it fails. This is the one yeah. thing that you need to boost your, your level of immune system and other things can serve as an adjunct. Um, and then I also, I'm a big promoter of probiotics. That's a, um, really thing that you want to do to maintain the health that you gut as the, as I mentioned before, um, the gut is houses your immune system It also houses, um, your neurotransmitters. Um, and so that's actually important to keep your mind going and, and to stay out of depression. So, um, those are the, the few things that I do for self-care and I'm constantly, researching and reading on things to optimize my health and it's constantly changing depending on what new strategy that is in the research today well that's so great and that's gonna lead us into my last question actually but before i go there um where can people access those did you say like bio beats um the frequencies binaural. is there a place binaural beats yeah where um can people access or download those frequencies if you do a Google search on binaural beats, you can find a, a, a ton on different things that you can download, MP3s that you can download, but um, you really want to make sure they're binaural. Um, and that's in, in, by its definition, uh, the binaural beats has a one frequency um, in one ear and a different frequency in the other ear, and it cancels out because your brain can't read two frequencies. So it just cancels it out. And then the resulting difference is the frequency that your brain processes. So that's how it works. But yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to search on Google. Yeah. No, that's so great. Um, we did an episode on biotuning as well, and she talked about the frequencies and everything. So um, yeah, this is just a great additional resource as well. Um, so you mentioned, right, you're always looking for books to optimize <laughs> yourself. Um, is there a book besides your own that you would <laughs> recommend to our listeners? because I think everyone is going to run out and read your book as well. But is there one that has been particularly inspirational to you along your journey? There's a, quite a few books, but I, I look at books. For me, it's what information that I can get to help 
me live optimally. There was a recent book by Dr. William Lee, How to Beat Disease, and it talks about specific foods that have a specific benefit um, on, on the body. And he talks about how much of each specific food is beneficial. Um, he goes into vegetables. He goes into um, the utilization of eating things like soy. Um, and he even tells you like how much of a specific substance, like he tells you to um, optimize health for prevention of breast cancer, like a half a glass of soy milk is, is all you really need a day. Um, and it's really inspirational for me. And it really helps me to um, reinforces my belief in terms of what I'm doing for myself and maintenance of my health and, and stay in remission. Well, thank you. And before we end, where can people find you um, on the internet and your book? So you can find me on at from doctor to patient.com. That's my website. And on my website, you'll have a link of where you can access my book, which is also found on Amazon. And then on my website, you'll also have um, a catalog of my podcasts. Um, and like you, I talk about different healing modalities, um, you know, that are a little off the beaten path. And I just, I, I take a deep dive into different things that can help you heal. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much again for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch through our website, www.courageouswellnesspodcast.com. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness. Courageous Wellness.